What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. This is episode number 96, recording this here on April 13th, 2023, just before the three o'clock hour here in the afternoon on the West Coast. I am joined, as always, by the one and only my co-host, Brett Ponda. Brett, how are you doing, and how was your week? It was pretty good. Um, I see with the Masters that we're going to talk about, I was busy with that. Had a story go up in the San Diego Union Tribune this week, so pretty busy week um, in terms of just everything going on. Most definitely. I mean, even today, I was able to break some news live on KBAK, CBS. If you saw it live, uh, we talked about how uh, the Washington Commanders uh, are uh, have now been sold, uh, apparently, uh, as it's been reported. Uh, and we're going to get into that right now here on the Fast Five. That is our first point. Earlier today, it was reported that Commander's owner, Dan Sider, sold the team to a group led by Josh Harris. He is a co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. He sold it to him for a little less than $6 billion. And one interesting fact I learned about this deal here, Brevin, is that this group also involves Magic Johnson. I mean, this is a, an extremely wealthy group. Um, it involves a billionaire as well who is a part of this sale. Um, and it's interesting because this is a $6 billion deal, like I just mentioned. And prior to that, the highest selling uh, franchise, I believe, was the Denver Broncos at $4.6 billion. So how much does this selling not only mean financially, but um, in terms of how the commanders can improve as a franchise? Brother? Yeah, I think it starts, you know, with the owner. You know, we talked about, it was about a month ago about, you know, with the NFL report cards coming out from the player association. And we went through each of those organizations and each of those teams. And one of the things that said about the commanders was their owner. And we saw that from that point and we're seeing it change here uh, as it was reported today and once it becomes official. Yep, so it appears this move is likely going to happen and we're going to keep you updated next week um, when we get that confirmation. And I'm sure we're going to get some more news out of Washington in one way or another next week as well. So let's move on here from the gridiron to golf. And that is the first major tournament of 2023 wrapped up on Sunday at the Masters. John Rahm, ASU alum, Go Devils, won his first green jacket in a four-shot victory. And that is his fourth win of this PGA Tour season. You can definitely see him evolve here as a golfer. And Brevin, he also became the number one golfer in the world as a result of this, right? Yeah, he jumped back into world number one of the official world golf rankings. He won that four-shot victory over Brooks Koepka. So during that final round, we had a little bit of PGA Tour versus, versus Live kind of battle um, as pretty much the chairman unfolded. Although you really didn't see much of people go, or players going after each other because of they were part of Live, because they were part of the PGA Tour. It was you know, just like a you – know, it feels like this was – kind of like 2019 before we saw, or even last year before we saw Liv come to be. Yeah, you know, I like the vibe, and that's how it should be, you know, respecting the game and respecting each other. 
And that's pretty much what happened here. And, I, and you know, you got to love to see that. And as you mentioned, you know, extremely competitive. One moment that stood out to me was, you know, that shot of uh, John Rahm and Brooks Kepka next to each other, just kind of like waiting for the players in front of them to finish. And they're just kind of dancing, they're staring. That is a whole other issue on the pace of play. That's what I mean, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was great competition. I wasn't able to watch the end of it uh, because I didn't have uh, Paramount Plus. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I missed out the end, but I was like, yeah, Rom's probably going to clutch up. And mm-hmm. he did, like, like I mentioned, four shot victory. And one thing I also found interesting here was, uh, you know, Phil Mickelson's performance. I mean, it does make sense. You know, he's an experienced. Uh, he knows the game well, and obviously he's had winning experience there too. Yeah, he finished tied for second with Briggs Kepka. Um, because um, Briggs kind of fell back, and Phil shot, I think it was seven under sixty-five yeah. during the final day. Yeah, so I think it was best round of the day as well. Yeah, it was best round of the day on Sunday, and uh, helped Phil Mickelson uh, get some more money. In, in route to his runner-up finish. Yeah, good for him there. And let's move on here now to the NHL. A couple of records were broken earlier this week, starting with the Boston Bruins. And, I mean, this is something that uh, has been headline in sports, obviously, for a while now. Uh, but it's that they have set an NHL record at their 63rd regular season victory. I mean, how substantial is this, Brevin, and what does it mean for Boston to kind of reach this point at the peak yet again? Yeah, we think about how historic some of these NHL teams are. We're going to get into another one in a sec, but we think about the Bruins, what they've been able to do, and how well they've been able to play all season long, it, and it cements with being getting their 63rd regular season victory here um, this season. Absolutely, and the longest active playoff streak across the NHL, NBA, NFL, and MLB is now over. Mm-hmm. York Islanders win on Wednesday. The Pittsburgh Penguins are now eliminated from playoff contention. That snapped a streak of 16 straight years of making the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, I mean, just a historic kind of bout here, completely snapped. Brevin, what do you think about this? Yeah, I was kind of kind of surprised to hear about this. We think about how good Sidney Crosby's been for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and even with a record of 40 and 31, it's being nine games up over 500. You think you'd be a playoff team, but when you only get when you only have 90 points, and you see uh, just being right at the edge of being on the borderline and making the playoffs, it's kind of the difference in when you look back on the season of, you know, it's not just how well you can be, but how great that you can be throughout the year that help you get into the playoffs. Yep, absolutely. And so uh, the regular season now in the NHL finishes up tomorrow. That is April 14th. Stanley Cup playoffs are going to begin here next Tuesday. We're going to be following that a little bit seeing what happens, seeing what teams go far. And I'm sure it's going to be competitive as always. And um, I, I think, you know, some of these new teams that are in here, some of the teams that are expected to win, I mean, I think the Golden Knights are up there again. 
Mm -hmm. Always competitive. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it looks like the Golden Knights will be the uh, number one seed. They still have to play the Seattle Kraken mm -hmm. um, tonight to finish up play before tomorrow's two regular season matchups between the Buffalo Sabres and the Columbus Blue Jackets, as well as the Colorado Avalanche and the Nashville Predators uh, scoring off tomorrow. All right, let's move on now to number four here on the Fast Five. CONCACAF Gold Cup sites were announced on Monday, slated to go from June 16th to July 16th. 15 stadiums in 14 cities are going to host some of the best soccer players on the planet. And one of those venues includes Snapdragon Stadium. In San Diego, home of the assets. Revan, what do you think about this? And I mean, how much does this sort of event draw, you know, tourism and just good uh, financial uh, situations here for, for San Diego? Yeah, it's going to be huge. I mean, you think about, too, we talked about um, Man United coming here the following week or within the next yeah. 10 days after that. So, yep. you know, it's going to be a pretty nice, good soccer buzz right in the heart of. Mission Valley is there one of 15 stadiums in 14 cities, as you mentioned, to be hosting um, some of the best soccer players on the planet. Yeah, um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what happens in these games. Um, if I have the opportunity to go to one of them, hopefully I can. I'm not entirely sure, but I know that uh, the grounds uh, creeping, groundskeeping crew at uh, Snapdragon Stadium does a really good job. I follow uh, their uh, head uh, groundskeeper on Twitter, and he's always posting about like how the field's doing, how he's watering it, and stuff like that, uh, mm -hmm. painting it for football season and stuff. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that keeps up during the summer because it could be pretty warm out there in Mission Valley sometimes. So mm -hmm. especially with all that running that those players are going to be doing, that's going to be tough to keep up too. I think that's always a factor, no matter where these players go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if we see another 100-degree game like how we did uh, that Aztec football game against Arizona. This was two years ago now um, to be the first game in front of fans inside okay. that stadium. What's also interesting, though, you think about the capacity of Snapdragon Stadium around 3,500. You know, there's going to be other stadiums here that are close to double that. You think about Allegiant Stadium, that's going to host some games. You think about... Um, AT&T Stadium, Soldier Field, um, all these different, um, they're one of the few stadiums as well. So I think the capacity is kind of strange here to see is, um, here when it comes to comparing each stadium. Absolutely. So uh, it's going to be fun to see uh, the Gold Cup in San Diego, Man United playing as well um, out there. Um, it'll be a lot of fun, drawing a lot of attraction to the city of SC. So uh, we're going to keep following that throughout the year. But let's move on to number five now. And that is uh, Jeff Passan from ESPN uh, reported that a uh, group from Salt Lake City is trying to get Major League Baseball to keep up. Now, this is pretty interesting because I believe they're only, you know, they have uh, two major franchises at least. My understanding. Uh, saw Jazz and Real Salt Lake. Am I missing one? 
Um, no. Yeah, I don't think so. So uh, that would just add uh, another professional team to the city of Salt Lake City. What do you think about that, brother? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, this is going to be a group called Big League Utah, led by longtime jazz owner Gail Miller, um, who is joining uh, Nashville Music City Baseball and Portland Diamond Project and lobbying to join the current 30 MLB organizations. We heard back in July, I think this is during All-Star Week, that uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred had wanted to get to 32, so... Um, it'd be interesting to see when it comes um, and how that comes to be. We think about two teams possibly wanting to relocate in, in the Oakland A's, the Tampa Bay Rays, who we're going to get to in a little bit in terms of their on-field play. But we think about some of these cities that want ba that want Major League Baseball, that don't just want Minor League Baseball. We think about Portland. We think about Nashville. We think about uh, Montreal and Canada. And so... Um, so Salt Lake City just adds to that opportunity um, to those to the possible list. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there and if the MLB does indeed decide to expand in the future. All right, let's keep talking some baseball here. And the Tampa Bay Rays, they have been absolutely on fire this season. They have started with 13 straight wins. They had a 93 win over the Red Sox earlier today. They scored seven runs in an inning, propelled them to that 93 victory. And 13 straight wins have become the franchise's longest winning streak. That also matched the 1982 Braves and the 87 Brewers. Both of those teams are 13-0 as well with the best record in the AL slash NL to start a season. That is the record. Tampa Bay Rays of 2023 have tied it. Tomorrow, they can eclipse it as well. It's going to be interesting to see how they match up, and they're going to end up playing Blue Jays for a tough task for any team. Revan, do you think they can do it here? I think so. Um, they'll be on the road, so they'll be – away from Tropicana Field, but you still got Drew Rasmussen going up against Jose Barrios. Barrios has, is right now 0-2 this year with a 11.17 ERA and a 1.86 whip through not even 10 innings of work. He's given up 15 hits, 12 Ks, and a home run. So it's possible here. Drew Rasmussen, he's 2-0, has not given up a run this year across 13 innings of work, allowing just three hits and striking out 15. That's a great hit to hit to strikeout ratio as well as the walk to strikeout ratio being 0 to 15. But this is a raised team too, Kyle. When you look at the run differential, it's a team that is a plus 71 in that category for and beating teams by nearly five and a half runs per game. Yeah, I mean, this team is absolutely on fire. When you look at the box score, even from today itself, I mean, going down the line here for RBIs. Batter number one, one RBI. Batter number two, two RBIs. Batter number three, one RBI. I mean, go on and on, and it's crazy. I mean, they have so much power. Their lineup is so balanced. Manny Margot, I mean, 
showing up for this team, former Padre. Shout out to him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Randy Rosarina, as we've seen, has just been really unloading on pitchers this season. Everything he's been able to do has been extremely impressive, according at least to me. Hitting 314, he's uh, hit three bombs already so far this season. Uh, 16 RBIs, and that's only in 15, 51 appearances at the plate. So, I mean, he's putting together a really nice year. I mean, it's not only him. It's uh, Wander Franco. It's John mm-hmm. Diaz as well. I mean, they got a really good lineup, and this team's going to go really far. They're proving why they're uh, pretty much becoming a perennial playoff team quietly, it seems, even too. Yeah, it's just like what we said during our American League East preview about uh, when it comes to the Rays, you know, they're not as, they're not going to be popular like the Yankees, not like the Red Sox, not like the rise of the, in terms of popularity, like the Blue Jays, you know, they're just going to go out and go out and win games through the way that they know how, and they're going to find their way into the playoffs and hopefully make a run like they did in 2008, where they get to the World Series and maybe try to win, try and win the World Series. Yeah, you know, when you think about who they've played, it, they haven't faced that much of great competition. They've played the Nationals, the A's, the Red Sox. I mean, I mean, these are all teams that are on the bottom tier of, of the list. Of but it's still an impressive feat because, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. that run differential definitely sticks out. If Bruce's team is good, and they're going to be good for a long time, I think they're going to keep this up. And... Uh, I'm just really impressed of what they've been able to do. And I, I think, like I said, it's going to continue and it's going to show. And uh, I'm going to be interested to see how long this lasts. Yeah, we're trying to see how long it lasts, too. And when you think about, you know, where the race stand right now and where they want to go this year, these are the games that they have to win, not just within their division, but against these teams that are going to be below 500. Um, as the year goes on, especially when we get towards October, when we get towards September, and we look at the standings and say, you know, this race team is three games up. Well, we can look back at this stretch right now and be like, well, that's because they were able to take advantage in of their start to the year. Absolutely. All right, let's keep talking some baseball here and stay in Florida. Because on Tuesday, Miami Marlins second baseman and reigning AL batting champion, Luis Arias, he came over from the Minnesota Minnesota Twins this offseason. And he hit the franchise's first cycle in an 8-4 to four win in Philadelphia. Arias doubled in the first, tripled in the sixth, homered in the seventh inning, and he singled in the eighth. This is uh, the last team in the MLB to ever Report cycle now that is full list complete here. So, uh, Luis Arias, I mean, I'm not surprised about this. I'm sure you're not either, Brevin. And nope. uh, this is uh, a team that kind of looks fun with uh, a lineup led by Arias. Yeah, I think it's just the hitting that's around it. But we think about what Luis Arias was able to do in a, in a hitter-friendly um, Citizens Bank Park, you know, go opposite field for that home run in the seventh inning. And, you know, we think about the hitting that he's able to provide. It's kind of like a, 
today version of like a Rod Carew or Tony Gwynn. He's going to hit to get on base. He's not going to worry about if he's going to slug or not, but you know, he's going to take advantage of the pitches that he gets in the zone. And you saw that on Tuesday night being able to go for the cycle. Yep, absolutely. I mean, he, he is such a fun player to watch, and he's going to keep that up. All right, Padres, let's get down into it. Uh, San Diego Padres, what do you think about the start so far, Brevin? I mean, they've had some up-and-down games. I, I think that's somewhat normal to have, uh, especially so early on in the season. But what do you think about the records in six? You think they'd be a little better than that? Yeah, they could be, but I mean, when you think about going on the road facing two National League East teams and going on the road to face the Braves, going on the road to face the Mets, you win that. You win the road trip, going four and three. You taking three out of four from a Braves team that is nine and four. Three of those losses coming to the Padres. You. Um, you get that big win against the Mets in the middle game of that series. And, you know, the Padres ultimately had the opportunity to, you know, they were in most of the, all three, all three of those losses as well um, during this road trip. So it's a good sign, you know, it's early. So, you know, it's not like this is a, an East coast road trip in late August, you know, this is just the first road trip of the year. So, you know, I like to see, I like what, um, this Padres team is done. We've seen the production, you know, in um, games throughout the entire lineup yesterday, even despite the lot or on uh, Wednesday night, Wednesday, no, Tuesday night, we saw the production from Manny Machado with his two RBI double and then Xander Bogart still opened the door. We saw, we talked about Hassan Kim, that walk-off home run um, that he had. So we're seeing the production uh, that can come from, anywhere in the lineup. Absolutely. I mean, this team has proven year in and year out, especially as they've grown and added more weapons, that uh, they're going to be able to produce. And, uh, yeah, th- thanks for clarifying about their record because, honestly, I had no idea that they were even on the road trip. Um, so that definitely provides more perspective on how a team – starts the season, especially on the road, is so important because now they're at home tonight and all weekend here against the Milwaukee Brewers. And it's going to be nice to see them back at home, um, seeing how they perform in front of the Peco Park crowd because then they're going to end up hosting the Braves for three days after that. And then just a, a trip to Arizona and Chicago. Um, Revan, are you going at all this weekend? Yeah, plan is to go tomorrow. Yep. And then go on Sunday as well. There you go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love it. Um gonna be great to see them back there. Um even going out to Arizona is not even that bad. Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, that's a little bit more of a hike, but um good to see the Padres get off to the start that they're in. But what do you think, Brevin? is a concern in terms of three players or topics related to the Padres. What kind of catches your eye so far this season that um, doesn't stick well for you? What is one of three things? I know the first one is something that we've seen every year, 
and it's gotten better as the year goes on. And I think that's number one, just because of how, you know, we see it every year and how recent it is in April and May. And that's just the production from Blake Snell. I think it's, it makes sense. I mean, at least it's consistent for what we're seeing, you know, year in and year out, you know, of these first half, Blake Snell's just not up to speed of, you know, where he wants to be with his control. I mean, yesterday we saw a lot of fastballs from him. And so, um, and it, the off-speed stuff that he pitched were good enough to have some success. But I think it's just Blake Snell, the little inconsistency that he has in finding that control early. So I think that's the first thing um, I'm a little worried about, not too much, knowing how good of a second half that he has. Um the other part that I'm worried about, I think, are the injuries. We've seen setbacks to Joe Musgrove um, during his rehab in AAA last week, um, but just a small one. And then Robert Suarez getting shut down after feeling some soreness um, in his arm. So um, those are two big pieces that um, are part of this, part of the Padres pitching plans. You know, Musgrove in the rotation, Suarez in the back end of, of the bullpen looking to be that eighth inning guy for for Josh Hader, the closer. And then, uh, I mean, we're seeing Drew Pomeranz uh, make a rehab start tonight in Triple El Paso. So um, that'd be good to see. We didn't see him at all last year. And then the third one, I think it's, for me, I think it's the offensive production from both Austin Nola behind the plate as well as the right fielders um, until we see the return of Fernando Tatis Jr. Austin Nola's barely hitting up. 100 and so I think I'd like to see that as well and you know we're seeing Luis Campusano and what he's been able to do and then we think about the right fielders it's been kind of like a it's kind of been like a uh, a roller coaster and you know musical chairs of who's playing the outfield whether it's David Dahl who's now her Rugnetto Dor we're seeing people come in and out in and out in that right field position They're, not producing as much as you probably would like. So um, people are waiting to see the return of Fernando Tatis Jr., which is going to come within the next probably about a week from today. Yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to that. No doubt about it. Um, It's definitely come sooner than later. It feels a leaf to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I definitely agree with your list. I mean, when you think about – um, especially those players that you kind of list, um, they all stand out. You know, I think uh, similarly to the Angels, um, that's kind of what I said as well. So uh, but let's get down into some Angels uh, here, Brevin. And uh, so far, the team, uh, similar kind of record to the Padres, 75, um, but they are leading in the ALS. How would you ever expect something like that, huh? Helps when you see the Astros under 500. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First time, maybe the only time they'll see it this season. Yeah. You never know. But uh, they have put together some pretty good results so far. Um, They haven't uh, necessarily done well against great competition they've uh dropped two series against or actually no they, they did win a series against the mariners they dropped a series against the blue jay so um so 
definitely, hopefully, some improvement to see from the bullpen. I think that's what stands out. And uh, the production you've seen so far from Shohei Otani and Mike Trout has definitely stood out. And even guys like Logan Ohapi, with four home runs and 11 RBIs, both leading the team. How would you ever expect something like that to happen? Well, that's what happens when you're at the bottom of the lineup and the pitches that you get are a lot better than if you're, let's say, at the two spot and you're Shohei Otani, you're the three, you're Mike Trout, you're going to get, Logan yeah. Hoppy's going to get better pitches to hit um, at that bottom of the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's taking advantage for sure. Um, and And that's what the Angels need because – even him, being a rookie, um, I think he's like 23, 24 years old. And uh, for him to be leading the team, I think that's pretty significant. Because that's what they're going to need. That's what they haven't had in years past. Is young guys who are producing at a high level. Um, that's kind of what we saw Trout do early on in his career. And hopefully Hoppy's the next guy that can kind of replicate that. Move his way on up and line up. And... Uh, Keep that number one catching spot, in my opinion, over Max Stassi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle. When you think about um, this team so far, being seven and five, tied uh, for first place in the American League West, what are kind of three players that you see kind of to be worried about um, right now? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, it's got to be Anthony Rendon, and I, I think. If you follow the Angels at all in, in any sort of capacity, you would probably agree with me because he's only played six games. He had that uh, five-game suspension uh, trying to fight a fan. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, 17 plate appearances so far, three hits. Um, obviously, his, his defense is pretty solid. He does have uh, five RBIs to his credit. Other than that, he hasn't really done much. And that, that's not what you want to see, once again, from a guy who uh, has the contract that he does. He has not yet had one productive season wearing an Angels uniform. I think it's worrying, and I think the trend of uh, signing veteran players to these contracts is, is ultimately never going to work for this team. Because that's that's a trend that has lasted for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen Anthony Rendon. We think about that 2020 campaign where he played in 52 of 60 games. The year, the year after that, he played just six more games than he did during the 2021 season. He played just yeah. 58 games. Um, scored five less runs in 2021 compared to 2020. Two less hits, it hit 240, um, 46 points below his 2020 batting average. And you know what's interesting about Anthony Rendon? He is always one to pick a fight. He was always yeah. one to pick a fight. And that's because <laughs> last season when the Angels were brawling with the Seattle Mariners, he was the first one out of the dugout. With yes, he was. Clean. A sling was around his shoulder and his arm. And he was the first one to fight Jesse Winker. He tried to, like, slap him. So there, there you see him replicating that. Uh, 
just a few months later here. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, it's definitely interesting because back then he served a suspension. Now he gets another one. I mean, it's just, you want to see him out there. And between that and between the injuries that have prolonged him for so long in Anaheim, I, I think it's, it's concerning. And if there's a way out of this contract, I don't know if they would, but maybe try exploring it. Yeah. Um, I'm also looking at Anthony Rendon's stats. He just hit 162, 162 games played earlier this week in the four year, in, here in his fourth year, um, being in Angels uniform. Obviously, that was kind of altered because of 2020 and playing 52 games, but 163 games played, 700 plate appearances, 589 at bats. 70 runs scored, 147 hits. You would think this is a good first season, but this is a four-year span of what we've seen from Anthony Rendon in an Angel uniform. Right. Yeah. 20 home runs, 94 RBIs. You think, oh, that's pretty good. But that's not just one year. That's four years combined. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kyle, think about um, – who else has kind of been someone that you're kind of worried about so far uh, here in this early portion of the 2023 season for the Angels? Yeah, I mean, to me, one kind of st stands out to the instead of the other, but I just combine them here, uh, two for one in this situation, and they both fall into Bolton. Bolton has struggled heavily so far this season for this Angels team. Two culprits of that. All right, Ryan Tapera and Aaron Luke. And this is not the first time this has happened. By any means, this is not the first time we've seen this. We've seen this last season. And I, I'm used to this. I've seen this movie before. Um, I don't know what else to say. Just an opportunity. And you just want to see uh, – them put in better situations sometimes, to be honest, from, from Phil and Evan, too, I, I, I should say. It's not all on them, but I think just the bullpen as a whole has struggled, but sometimes I, I feel like when they're put in situations that they can't benefit from, then it, it just all goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen the it's been a challenging time for both Ryan Tempera and Aaron Luke. Both of them have ERAs over seven so far this year. Um, Ryan Tempera has appeared in five games. Aaron Luke has appeared in four games this year. Combined to just throw 5.2 innings um, so far have given up 11 hits. Six earned runs already here in 2023. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Kyle, who else is uh, someone that you're kind of worried about so far this year? Yeah, I would say worried is a really good word to describe this guy. And, you know, he, he's been around for quite some time now. I, I'm not even entirely sure how many years now. I think uh, five years, yeah. He's been around for five years. He joined the team uh, officially in the big leagues in 2019. Um he is now 25 years old, and that is um, Jose Suarez. He's uh, always been one of those guys on the back end of the rotation 
one of the lefties on this team. And now the team has like eight lefties all of a sudden. It's crazy. But, um, you know, right now, not having in, I believe, two starts so far this season, eight innings pitched, uh, 8.1 innings, I should say. Uh, he's allowed 18 hits, uh, 10 earned runs, and only struck out six battles. And I think that's pretty concerning right now because when you look at his ERA, um, it's 10.8. I mean, that is eye-popping 10.8 two scores. I, I think that is worrying when you uh, have this guy on your team who has consistently been on that back end. You want to see him get better, but I'm not sure if we are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle, two-part question. You know, we see Griffin Caney make his return, first off. What are your thoughts about him making his return yesterday? And could Phil Nevin go to a five-man rotation? And I'm not sure about the minor league options but with Jose Suarez, but maybe send Suarez down and stick with a five-man rotation. Yeah, I think they could do that. I don't know if he will, but I mm-hmm. think it's a possibility. And when you think about Griffin Caney, um, it's good to see him out there because, you know, he, he didn't pitch in, I believe, like two years almost. And he was dealing with injury. And, um, you know, prior to that, he was really just known as the young guy in the squad. And he had, he had some major league experience, obviously, with what he's been able to do for the years. Um, when you think about his, his first start this season, like you mentioned, I was really impressed. I mean, he, he got the W, and that's all that mattered. Uh, five innings pitch, only allowed two runs, struck out four. I mean, he pitched pretty solid, and he also showed off from Arsenal. He, he's got some different stuff that he can work with. And he was some, he was some batters, like I mentioned, with this four strikeout. So, good to see him out there. And uh, like you mentioned, if he, if they do go to a five-man, uh, I, I think it's a possibility they could stick with him because um, having another righty in this – you know, rotation wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing either because maybe that's something you might be lacking a little bit. And that's kind of, it kind of feels weird to say that. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to keep track of the Angels and keep track of Major League Baseball this entire season. As it unfolds, we're seeing that some of the bright stars in addition to the Tampa Bay Rays, we're seeing like rookie sensations of Jordan Walker from the St. Louis Cardinals, his on-base streak to start his career uh, from, you know, all the different stuff that's going on throughout Major League Baseball. But right now we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some NBA. We have the, we had part one of the playing tournament with the second half coming tomorrow. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs that began on Saturday. Um, So stick around and we'll continue episode number 96 of, of Down the Line. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 96. It's thir- it's Thursday, April 13th. 
just after 3.30 here on the West Coast. Kyle Betts here alongside myself, Robin Hundo. We talked some Major League Baseball in the first half of our show. We talked about the news surrounding the new sale for the ownership position of the Washington Commanders. We talked about some hockey as the Stanley Cup playoffs are about to get underway. We talked about the Masters that took place last weekend as John Rahm took home his first green jacket and second career major victory. We're now going to go to the hardwood where we got the playing tournament going on. We got the playoffs the first round here on this anniversary of the Golden State Warriors winning their 73rd win in franchise history, making it an NBA record for most wins in a regular season. But Kyle, we think about this playing tournament. We saw, uh, we think about the Eastern Conference playing tournament. Talks about the uh, two games that we saw from the Eastern Conference. Yeah, good games here. And we we talked about it a little bit, how these could be the matchups, and they were. That mm-hmm. was Hawks playing the Heat. Um, Hawks ended up taking this one, 116-105, rematch of last year's first round of playoff series. I mean, that was a really good one. And then, obviously, um, what we were able to see um, yesterday, which was 10-seeded uh, uh, Chicago, the Bulls, Ended up beating the number nine seed Toronto Raptors 109 105. Some assistance from DeMar DeRozan's uh, daughter in that one. Um, but to see the Heat and the Bulls face off, I think this is probably a favorable one for the Heat. Uh, ultimately, anything can happen. It's the playing tournament, but um, it's going to be a really good one to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think about too. We were talking last week with NBC. Emmy Award-winning producer Devin Watley last week, so you can go check out episode number 95 from, from our conversation with Devin about this NBA playoff or play-in tournament as we get to the playoffs. You know, this is a Hawks team that took down the Heat to be that number seven seed in the playoffs, and then the loser will play the Heat, who lost, plays tomorrow against the Chicago Bulls to be the number eight seed in the playoffs to take on the Milwaukee Bucks. And then we think about the Western Conference now, the Lakers and the Timberwolves. This is a Lakers team that had the opportunity to win in regulation, but Anthony Davis had a, I can't remember what the word, had a, had a quote-unquote brain fart, quoting LeBron James there from his post-game yeah. press conference at the uh, end of their game, but the Lakers did hold on to defeat the Minnesota Timberwolves 108-102. Kyle, what was your reaction to seeing this Lakers team uh, survive? Yeah, well, I, I didn't find out until the morning after because I fell asleep like before the game started. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even see it, so I saw the result at like 3.30 in the morning or something like that. Yeah, okay, that's good. Let's go Lakers, you know? <laughs> so uh, good to see them get that win. But then once I got into work, you know, I watched the highlights and I saw that foul. I was like, man, like that could have been so bad if they lost that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Lakers do win and survive. They do get the win. They survive. They move on. They are the seventh seed. In the Western Conference, we think about the game, the other play-in game that took place on Wednesday between the 10-seeded OKC Thunder. They took down the number 19 New Orleans Pelicans, meaning both 10 seeds uh, or 10th place teams 
got the win on both got their wins on the road. The Thunder took down the Pelicans 123-118. The second youngest team in the NBA is one win away from being in the NBA playoffs as they face the Minnesota Timberwolves in Minnesota um, tomorrow. Kyle, what do you see? What you, are your reactions to seeing the Thunder take down the Pelicans and their chances tomorrow in Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, once again, fell asleep this time during. <laughs> so didn't see the result. And then I was like, oh, okay, let's go Thunder once again at 3.30. No, but in all seriousness, it was impressive to see how Gilgis Alexander played. I mean, he's such an X-factor of being a first-time All-Star, just proving his worth. Uh, day in and day out, every time he steps out on the court, you see him do something different, and he really impresses. So um, having him alongside, you know, some really good uh, positional players um, that have uh, roles for them, such as Luke Dorr, that's always interesting to see. And then also Josh Giddy. He played so well last night, 31 points, 10 assists, 9 boards. I mean – just one stat short of a triple-double in a play-in tournament game is really impressive, especially when you put up that amount of points. And he usually doesn't have that volume. So uh, this team can prove that they can uh, keep up with really anyone in this league. And that's why they're making a name for themselves in this play-in tournament. Now, in terms of their chances, it's going to be tough, especially against a Timberwolves team with Cat. I mean, he can really just dominate anyone. And now when you see what he was able to do from the Lakers, especially from three, um, he can force them too. So they got to look up and they got to defend really well, I think, in their offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got the playoffs starting um, on Saturday. We got four game, we got four game ones on Saturday and then another four game ones on Sunday, we kick things off on Saturday in the Eastern Conference. Three Eastern Conference game ones kick off between the Nets and the Sixers, the Hawks and the Celtics, as well as you got the Knicks and the Cavs. Kyle, first start off here with this Brooklyn Nets team. Take it on the Philadelphia 76ers. That is a 3-6 a matchup here. Uh, what are you hoping for? Um, how do you see this series playing out? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a really good one. Uh, I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, once again, like you said, it, it's the playoffs, and uh, w- once it comes down to anything, um, it, it's going to be who's hot at the right time. So um, in terms of any of these series that we've talked about here, Brevin, it's going to be tough to predict. But um, I think when you get down into the nitty-gritty of things, the series that stands out to me the most is probably Memphis and and Los Angeles, you know, between these two teams. So um, I think LeBron James is going to have to carry. And when it comes down to what happens at the end of the day, they're going to keep up with each other. They're both physical teams. They're both going to fight for everything. We've got athleticism. And both of these – all these games ultimately are going to be extremely physical and um, there's going to be a lot of fouling that's going to happen. People have to be at the foul line and 
that's just the stature of how these two teams are going to take. It's going to be exhilarating. I think you go far because of that. And we're going to see different results in every single game. Mm-hmm. Holly, you think about from the four, or from really the eight matchups that we have here in this first round, do you see any of the lower seeds um, pulling off a series victory? I do. I think the Golden State Warriors could definitely knock off the number three Sacramento Kings. Now, am I saying it's going to happen? I don't think so, but I think there, there's definitely that that chance there. I, I know the sports books are heavily favoring the Warriors to win that series. I think a minus 300 something. And that's pretty hard to believe. But like you mentioned, Brevin, anything is, is possible in the playoffs. And so you, you can see if like the, the Clippers taking out on the Suns is possible. It's going to be tough now, but it's possible. And then even in the East, I think potentially the Knicks are in favor in front of the number four in Cavaliers, Knicks 5 seed. Um, but other than that, I, I think the East is a lot more clear cut um, in terms of what could happen in the first round of mm-hmm. the playoffs. Yeah, um, the uh, Warriors and Kings are the only Western Conference game that will square up on Saturday. The game's at 5.30 p.m. Before that, you got the Knicks and Cavs at 3 o'clock. Uh, Hawks and Celtics at 12.30 p.m. And then to open playoff coverage, it's Nets and 76 series at 10 a.m. And then Sunday, we've got Lakers and Grizzlies at 12 o'clock. We've got um, Bucks and then the winner of the Heat Bulls playing game um that will be uh uh that will be at 2 30 p.m and then you got clippers suns at five o'clock and then the nuggets um will face the winner of their playing tournament game that will be uh, nuggets will face the winner of that playing tournament game at 7 30 all those times are pacific time yeah um once again uh it's going to be a heck of a series. I don't know what's going to happen. And I could say that about many of these series too, <laughs> ones that I didn't mention. Um, it's it's really tough to, to pick a bracket, especially when um, these, game, these series could go seven games at some point. And, and really, it could go either way. So I, I think it, it comes down to who's not at the right time, like I mentioned. And... Um, if I had to choose one favorite out of all these, and I don't know, it's really tough to just choose one, but I, I feel like the 76ers could really surprise a lot of people this postseason. I think them and the Boston Celtics would be teams that really stand out. And, and firstly, the Sixers, like I mentioned, I'll, I'll address them. Um, Joel Embiid is likely going to be the MVP, I think. So uh, everything he's been able to accomplish, he's going to bring in the postseason. I mean, he he's it seems like he's pit, putting up 36 and like 11 every single night, you know. And I think him, James Harden's been playing well at the right time. They've had some other production from uh guys uh Jalen McDaniels has even fit into a role there too uh Tobias Harris is still playing pretty well 
Um, so they got guys that are, are buying into uh, what they've been able to put together uh, out there. And so I think they have a good chance. And same with the Celtics, a team with really good depth, uh, led by their, their two studs, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, obviously. But um, when you think about uh, who else they have, um, guys with depth that uh, continuously come off the bench and are, are able to score for this team, um, they're able to put that up. So um, once again, I think these Eastern Conference teams are a little more clear cut. I think the Sixers and the Celtics definitely stand out. Of the West, uh, like I mentioned, tough to say. Uh, I think the Nuggets are going to be in a good spot, but uh, tough to say other than that, to be honest, I really think there's no true standout in the West beyond maybe Denver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, too, when it comes to that Suns-Clippers matchup, we're going to see Kawhi Leonard, we're going to see Paul George, we're going to see, should see Kevin Durant, we should be seeing Chris Paul, Devin Booker, so a lot of stars um, in that 4-5 matchup, and it's tough to see the the caliber of those two teams, one of them going down in this first round, but I think the key for the Suns is how well they're going to be able to utilize Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton um, in that series with the home field advantage favoring them compared to the Clippers um, being that five seed. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, the the Clippers being that five seed, um, they're in a pretty solid spot because they could definitely advance here in the playoffs and, you know, end up end up in a favorable at the end of the day if they stream together some good series because the moves they were able to make similarly to the Lakers uh, because of the trades they made, their acquisitions, um, they're now in a better position than they were uh, in your prior. Um, just being able, being able to put, be in a position to compete ultimately is where I think they stand at five seed right now. Kawhi Leonard, um, we know that they save a lot of him for this moment here, playing every game in the playoffs. So um, it's going to be fun to see him at uh, 100% here in the postseason because, once again, it's something we haven't seen. It seems like since he had that 2019 Raptors run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Clippers and Suns, their game two is set for Tuesday. That will be the yeah. – Final gave them a three-game slate where you also got the Hawks and Celtics, their game two, and then Knicks and Cavs, their game two. On Monday, the day before, you got the Nets and Sixers, and then the Warriors and Kings, the kind of like a freeway series battle going on there. Um, And then uh, Wednesday, you got Lakers-Grizzlies game two. The Bucks, uh, that series will be game two on Wednesday. So we pretty much got basketball pretty much every single day okay. next week. Okay. Uh, playoff basketball from TNT to ESPN to ABC. We're going to see a lot of playoff basketball taking place um, over the next week. Yeah, it's a, it's a great time of year. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it, uh, especially TNT. We all like watching uh, Inside the NBA. Well, uh, except for Kevin Graham. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, it should be a lot of fun. We get playoff basketball, like we mentioned at the top show. We're yeah. going to get some playoff hockey as well. Yeah. Uh, with the Stanley Cup, you get Major League Baseball. And the football news makes it sound like we're having NFL go on at the same time, obviously, with the NFL draft coming up at the end of the month. So a lot of in store for the rest of April. But we're going to conclude. Um, our show today was some trivia. I am on the block, so I'll let Kyle take it away here. Yeah, uh, this is uh, a really interesting one here today that I decided to put together. Um, and, I, and I wasn't necessarily sure what I kind of wanted to go with. But um, when we think about uh, what uh, Luis Arias was able to accomplish this week, being the final player uh, for the armor being the player for the last team to get a no hitter uh, representing the Miami Marlins just that influence um, just proves how much records mean to some teams in MLB because I think a stat that I saw was Arias wasn't able to do this uh, or the Marlins played like 4,700 games before doing it for the first time. Um, something ridiculous like that. But um, we're going to get into trivia here, and it's going to be about MLB history a little bit. And I'm just going to be asking you some random prompts uh, about uh, MLB, um, some numbers, some over and unders as well. Um, I think that's always an interesting part of this. Um, and we're going to see if you can uh yes uh some different uh questions here so let's get down into it and the first question is um obviously we, we've had many teams who have uh had a, an influence in the mlb as the best teams ever um but there are two that stand out uh really among the most and uh these teams Played in 1906 and 2001. And the over under here is uh, 115 and a half. How many wins did these teams have? Uh, God, I'm trying to figure out that 1906 team, but I know the 2001 team. That is over. That is over because that team had 116 wins. That was the 2001 Seattle Mariners. Um, and the other team to do that was the 1906 Cubs. They also had That's right. 116 wins. Um, that 1906 Cubs roster had four Hall of Famers and Frank Chance, Johnny Evers, Joe Tinker, and Mordecai Brown. Mm-hmm. Then, Don't hear those names every day. Yep, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, but obviously, they uh, that record was uh, tied in 2001, like I mentioned, by the Mariners. And uh, it was all because of Ichiro, uh, the season that he was able to put together. And uh, the Mariners leading the big league and runs scored and allowed while winning at least two-thirds of their games in each month. 
So uh, a lot of records broken that year for the Mariners um, and a, a big uh, legacy for uh, Mr. Suzuki. You also got three Hall of Famers on that Mariners team as well. Yeah. From Griffey to um, Edgar Edgar Martinez to Randy Johnson and could be a fourth once Ichiro um, gets becomes eligible um, on the ballot. Yeah, A-Rod on that team too, right? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Not quite. A-Rod was a little bit uh, was earlier. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that Seattle team lost in the ALCS that season. All right, let's move on to number two here. And uh, this is another one here that, that's, I think, a little tough. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, tough to determine, especially once you uh, put everything together um, in terms of history. So... Um, we're going to go back instead, um, and we're just going to test your knowledge on last season. Obviously, um, we know some of the, the batting leaders in the league. Um, number one last season was Jeff McNeil. Now, was his batting average over under 325? Oh, gosh. I think it was over. I think he had like 326, 327, 330. You're right. He did hit 326. Yeah. So he, he had 533 ABs, 174 hits during those, nine home runs. He drove in uh, 62 runs and only struck out 61 times last season. Obviously, uh, such a good uh, professional player. And uh, I, I would quiz you on, on players. Uh, Post nineteen hundred, but that list is uh, helps when the Padres just played the Mets, and you're talking about Jeff McNeil. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Uh, now this is another one, a uh, tough one too, but uh, we're just gonna get into it, and we're gonna see if you can get this one here. Um. How many runs were scored in a season uh, by this team? I'm, I'm about to explain in a second. We're going all the way back to 1894. Oh, jeez. Oh, there goes the Padres. The Boston Bean Eaters. <laughs> <laughs> I think they became the Atlanta Braves. Okay. Uh, they have the most runs by a team in a season. I don't even know how many runs the Padres scored last season. Over under 1,219. Jeez. I mean, when you think about how many games they played back then, I mean, they only played, what, 130 games? They didn't play 162. Um, yeah. I'm going to go under. It's actually over. It is over? Yeah. So it's 1,220 runs. Oh, gee. So that was back in 1894. Mm -hmm. and, and they 
only had uh, a few more than the 1894 Phillies and the 1894 Orioles, who are second and third on this list. Mm-hmm. We have the most runs in the history. The 1930s Yankees have three teams within the top 10 on this list. Well, you know, the dynasty that they put together back then, and they're, they're representing there. Um, a couple teams, other teams here from the 1890s as well. Um, in modern day baseball, it's a lot more different. Um, I'm trying to see. Um, I'm trying to see how many were scored last season here in the MLB. And uh, can't find that stat right now. But um, when you think about runs that are scored in a game on average, um, this season, Tampa Bay is putting up 7.6. That's yeah. a quick perspective for 160 uh, um, what that's able to accomplish if they're able to keep that up. All right, let's continue here. Um, obviously, um, we've seen many players over the years um, when most valuable players in the So... Here is your uh, question here, Brevin. Who has the most MVP awards in MLB history? Oh, gosh. I feel like we talked about this when we talked Hall of Fame. Um, yeah. I feel like it's what? How many? What's that total at? Five? Six? You want the number? Yeah, I'll take the number. Seven? And, oh, seven MVPs. Who's, I got, I feel like we've talked about this before. <laughs> Gosh. Seven MVPs. Yep. I'll go Mickey Mantle. That is a really good guess, but. Oh, God. It's actually Barry Bond. Yeah, okay, that would have been my next guess. Very, okay, yeah. Barry Bonds, uh, 1990, 92, 93, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2003. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that stretch kind of carried him, and then same with early 90s there. Mm-hmm. And he finishes 22-year career with 762 homers. <laughs> 2,558 walks and 688 of those being intentional. Mm -hmm. That was a good case of overthinking. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Here we go. Uh, We're going to get into this last one here. Um, MLB history. We're going to get into pitchers with the most Cy Young awards. Who has the most Cy Young awards? Oh, jeez. Here we go. Um, this one is most Cy Young Awards. Is it Roger Clemens? It is Roger Clemens. Yeah. He won seven Yep. as well. Seven is the lucky number, apparently. 1986, 87, 1991, 97, 98, 2001, 2004. Yeah. He won winning, uh, 
Final mm-hmm. awards in both leagues with four different teams. Yeah. And Justin Verlander has won three. He has uh, become the 11th to win the honor three times. Obviously, he did last year with the Houston Astros with 18 wins, and he also led the league with a 1.75 ERA. Yeah, that was ridiculous. So that just puts into perspective uh, how hard it is to win a Cy Young like that with Justin Verlander doing that. Well, Roger Clemens did that seven times. Mm-hmm. And just behind him is Randy Johnson with yep. five. Mm-hmm. Steve Carlton as well. He's on this list of four. Mickey Mantle was a three-time MVP. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but he was also a triple crown winner. So, so yeah, there you go. You did pretty good. That, that's mm-hmm. pretty, that was pretty tough. I, I definitely would not have done well. On that, mm-hmm. yeah. God, when you were th- when you were naming teams from the 1890s, I was like, well, you got the Cleveland Spiders in that mix too. <laughs> Padres overtook them with the uh, mo- consecutive game streak of Grand Slams in 2020. Really? There you go. That's how uh, San Diego became known as Slam Diego. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was. That was pretty good there. God, I overthought that Mano one. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought I thought I had a chance of uh, of getting you on that one. I, mm-hmm. I, I, thought, you, I thought you would get it low key, but I was like, ah, might as well throw it out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, both those players are not in the Hall of Fame, both Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Yeah, crazy to think about that. Mm-hmm. All right, Kyle, you want to close this out? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for listening to Down the Line once again. I am Kyle Betts. Brevin Honda, as always, once again joining me. This was episode number 96. We got into a lot today. Once again, to recap everything here, we got to Fast Five or News of the Day, which is uh, the Commanders are being sold, apparently. Uh, A lot of records in the NHL, uh, the playoffs starting. Um, we talked about the Masters and John Rom winning that. Uh, the Gold Cup coming to San Diego and San Diego State Football Stadium. How crazy that is. Um, also, going to the race, uh, potentially breaking records in the MLB. Uh, 13 straight wins to start a season for them. They're 13 in a row. They just did that today. Talked to some Padres and Angels. Gotten to the NBA playoffs and recapped everything with some trivia. So. Thank you for listening once again here to Down the Line. Once again, I am Kyle Betts, signing off with Rev Honda. We will see you next week.